Hey church, if I've not met you before, I'm Phil. I lead the team here at St. Paul's and it is Palm Sunday. We've nearly made it to Easter. And today we are back in the Gospel of John with eight amazing verses for us to study and what is commonly known as Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It is a big moment and it kicks off Jesus's final week as he heads to the cross. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, do not be afraid daughter of Zion. See, your King is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This last year, I watched series three of The Crown on Netflix. I loved it. And I found it particularly fascinating watching Prince Charles's story unfold, getting a glimpse of the different experiences and encounters that, according to the show's writers and directors, have shaped who he is and reveal something of Prince Charles's character. And for me, it's moved him from being a name, uh, a, a, an unknown construct of a, of a distant figure operating in a distant and mysterious world to being someone who feels deeply and stands for and is passionate about certain things. Someone who, if he ever actually becomes king, would bring his particular character and shape to the crown, to, to his kingdom, to this kingdom our united kingdom. In a sense, it's similar as we study the Gospels and look at the experiences and encounters that Jesus had. You know, we get to know his character and the kind of king that he is and the character of his kingdom. And that's why it's so important for us to spend time in God's word to get to know him. Now, John kicks off his account of Jesus's life with the big claim that this Jesus is the promised Messiah who's come to deliver his people. And John spends the first half of his narrative recalling a series of encounters, some of which we've looked at over just the past few weeks 
that Jesus has with different people uh, and through which he gently reveals something of who he is, the son of God, the saviour, the king. And these encounters generally lead to confusion and to controversy and they upset the religious leaders of the time who get more and more angry at Jesus messing with the status quo. And this culminates in chapter 11 with the incredible story about Jesus raising this guy called Lazarus from the dead. And and this is the final straw for the Jewish leaders who, who then begin to plot to kill Jesus. So it's pretty epic stuff so far. But throughout all of this, throughout all these early encounters, Jesus seems to try to keep a low profile. You know, we read that he keeps withdrawing to wilderness places. You know, like after Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000, we read, knowing that the people intended to come and make him king by force, Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. But FYI, raising someone from the dead, not good for keeping a low profile. And so here the narrative begins to shift and it all goes off in dramatic fashion where we are today in chapter 12. So picture the scene. It's Passover. It's one of the three compulsory festivals for the Jews. And Passover in particular attracted hundreds and thousands of visitors to Jerusalem. Historians estimate that there was likely two or three million Jews in Jerusalem for Passover Uh, And there's already a serious buzz going on about this Jesus character. In fact, in this picture, there's two crowds. There are those who are coming from Bethany who witnessed Jesus raise Lazarus. And then there are those coming out of Jerusalem who've heard the news and they want to see this guy that everyone's talking about. Now, there is no doubt right here that Jesus was a sensational figure. And of course, sensationalism and clever publicity can always draw a crowd. But we know hype doesn't last. And sure enough, many in this same crowd shouting Hosanna today would make up the crowd shouting crucify later that same week. However, today, the hype is real, and I want you to see that. This is an epic scene, and John uses this episode to declare Jesus is king. Not just king of Israel, but king of the whole world. And we're going to dive in a little bit just to see how John begins to make this clear for us. So verse 12, the next day... The great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So the crowds here are quoting Psalm 118, which for the Jews was a famous psalm of praise. It was one of the first scriptures that young Jewish boys committed to memory and it was sung over and over during Passover and it was a well-known victory song often chanted as men returned victorious from battle. And so here Jesus is being celebrated as the Messiah, the long-awaited king who would deliver the Jews to victory 
over their enemies. Which is the nightmare that the Pharisees and chief priests had feared. So the question is, will Jesus walk away from it this time like he has before? Will he withdraw? And this time, the answer is no. So verse 14, instead, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's cot. Yeah, quite the opposite of retreating from the praises of the people. Jesus chooses to enact this ancient prophecy. You know, Jesus is basically saying loud and clear, yes, I am the king of Israel. I am the Messiah. And he's doing it in the most explosively public and dangerous way. But then it goes even further. And John weaves the story together to be clear to us that Jesus is more than just a local, tribal, Jewish king. He's the king of the whole world. Verse 17 to 19. Now the crowd that was with Jesus when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The whole world has gone after him. Yeah, this is an odd thing to say at the beginning of a Jewish festival. But John uses this unwittingly profound statement to reveal something of the rich, multi-ethnic kingdom of King Jesus. And if you read on, John then emphasises this even further with a story about some Greeks, not Jews, who are in Jerusalem and they want to come and meet this Jesus. So the first point here is the obvious one in the context of this triumphant entry that Jesus is king. And not just a king, but the king. He's the king of Israel, the king of the Jews and of the non-Jews. He's your king. He's my king. He's everyone's king. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've come from whether you feel in or out, right or wrong, whether you know it or not, John wants us to know that Jesus is the king of the whole world. And the Gospels are Holy Spirit-inspired masterpieces with layers of rich meaning. So, So what else might this episode reveal to us about the kind of king that Jesus is? Well, back to verse 13. And the crowds shout, Hosanna. Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably come across Hosanna. We use it in songs, it's in our communion liturgy, and it's an amazing word that reveals something rich about King Jesus. We know the New Testament was first written in Greek and the Old Testament in Hebrew. And wherever the word Hosanna occurs in the New Testament, all the English translators have done was to use the English letters, H-O-S-A-N-N-A, to make the sound 
of what was in the Greek, which in turn is exactly what those who wrote the New Testament in Greek had done to the Hebrew. So when we say in our English translation, Hosanna, it comes from a Greek transliteration, Hosanna, which comes from a Hebrew phrase, Hoshiana. I think that's how you say it. You know, the Hebrew phrase, uh, Hoshiano, is found in just one place in the Old Testament. And that's Psalm 118, verse 25, where its original meaning is save, please. Yeah, it's a cry to God for help. Yeah, it's like you've just fallen in a river and you call out, help, save me, Hoshiana. But over time, a shift happens and, uh, and the meaning of this phrase begins to change. In the psalm, Hosanna was immediately followed by the exclamation, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yeah, in the psalm, this cry for help, Hosanna, was answered almost before it came out of the psalmist's mouth. And then over the centuries, the phrase stopped simply being a cry for help and became a shout of hope. Yeah, instead of save me, please, it came to mean salvation, salvation, salvation has come. You know, it used to be what you would say when you fell in the river, but it came to be what you would say when you see someone throw you one of those life rings. You know, it's the bubbling over of a heart full of joy and hope because help is at hand. Hosanna means, yes, it's salvation. It's coming. It's here. I am saved. Hosanna moved from a cry to confidence, from help me to you have got me. So when we sing Hosanna today, it is praise and it's our confidence that King Jesus has saved us from guilt and from fear, from hopelessness. Salvation has come. So this is kind of where the crowds were at when they shouted Hosanna to Jesus. You know, the saviour that they had been waiting for was here. But of course, he wasn't really what they'd been expecting at all. You know, the Jews were waiting for a king who was a conqueror, a military deliverer, who would sound the trumpet and uh, send out the call to arms and lead the Jewish nation to its long delayed victory over Rome and the world. But here Jesus reframes that picture by arriving on a donkey. And this was a dramatic and public fulfilling of a famous prophecy recorded in the book of Zechariah. And, and it left no doubt of Jesus's claim to be the promised king, but it was also a claim to be a certain type of king. It's easy to misunderstand this picture. For us today, a donkey is often a, a silly animal. But in the ancient East, it was a noble creature. Now, there are many examples in 
scripture and other history books of kings and princes and judges riding donkeys in peacetime. And that was the point. A king who came riding on a horse was ready for war, but a king riding on a donkey was coming in peace and love. This enacted prophecy emphasised not only that Jesus was the king and saviour of the whole world, but also the prince of peace. Not a warrior set on conquering enemy nations or, or crushing those in his way, but a king whose hand is gentle and desire is to unite, to reconcile. To those who don't know him or, or perhaps feel that he wouldn't want to know them, Jesus comes not with a sword and the desire to subdue, but with compassion and care. King Jesus came not to conquer, but to console and to give up his power, to give his life in order to rescue yours. And he's a king who now invites us all into a a global, multi-ethnic, hope-filled kingdom of peace and righteousness, justice and love. This is the good news. Now, this is what this public procession of Jesus was all about. And this is what your public profession of Jesus should be about today. That Jesus is king of the whole world, mighty to save and gentle in love. Yeah, this is good news, especially for those of us who doubt. Yeah, maybe you're hearing this today and you just feel like part of the crowd. You're still not sure about this Jesus or, or maybe you've met Jesus And you've shouted Hosanna, but feel like a week later you maybe turned on him and shouted crucify. Well, know today that Jesus doesn't ride in on a war horse ready to take you down. He comes peacefully, gently, in love, ready to lift you up. And whether you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 minutes or for 50 years, my encouragement to you is to get excited, to shout and sing of this King, even in the midst of your doubts and struggles and failings. Because of the nature of King Jesus, we can do more than just cry for help. We can be confident with hope. When we see division around us, we can hope for unity and reconciliation. We shout, Hosanna! Salvation has come. King Jesus is here. When we see domination and and oppression and fear, we can hope for freedom and justice. We shout, Hosanna, salvation has come. King Jesus is here. No matter what's going on in our lives, we can always know an overwhelming peace and love. And shout, Hosanna, salvation has come. King Jesus is here. This is the king who loves us, 
the God we worship, Jesus Christ, mighty to save and gentle in love, the Saviour who rides with us out of our gathering on Sunday into life on a Monday and invites us to join in with him, establishing his global, multi-ethnic, hope-filled kingdom of peace, righteousness, justice, and love.